just a ton of comments on the text line to 630-630 following uh, our conversation with a criminal trial lawyer who was breaking down that Aaron Andrews verdict for us. $55 million awarded to the broadcaster following the release of uh, obviously unauthorized nude videos. Uh, the stalker charged and uh, pleaded guilty. Michael David Barrett, that is, West End Hotel Partners and Windsor Capital Group, the hotel owner and former operator, also implicated in this to the tune of 49% of that judgment. A listener out of Fort McMurray says, I just don't understand how the hotel can be responsible in that Aaron Andrews case. And another here, uh, this is uh, Sean, says the hotel lawyer was completely offside and arguing that she had seen fame from this. He says, I'm not surprised of the outcome here. Bill says to sue for damages, it's simple. You've got to prove you were damaged, and then you've got to prove how much you were damaged. You let me know what you think. We've been looking forward to this half hour for a long time. Right off the bat, I'll welcome Brad LaFoy to the studio. Brad, it's great to see you. Hey, Ryan, great to be here. Uh, I, I suppose I could characterize our relationship as, uh, well, you're a Chad listener. You're a listener to this program and a somewhat regular texter. Exactly. And just about a week ago, you chimed in. We were talking about media access at the legislature, if I remember correctly. That's right. And you started telling us the story of your fiance, Olena Goncharova. That's right. Yeah. We uh, well, it was it was interesting. Uh, you guys were talking about some of the uh, some of the issues that have been going on with uh, the current NDP government and issues of access to uh, to closed uh, closed media availabilities. I guess they would be. And I had mentioned to you that uh, Olena is a reporter with Kiev Post in Ukraine, and a lot of her work is to do with parliamentary affairs and government issues. And it really just kind of drew out how remarkably different. Uh, certain places are in certain ways specifically that and she can probably speak better to this than I obviously but that uh, you know she'll be trying to get interviews say with with politicians or political candidates during an interview and there are so many people there who are still very very used to the the old guard and the old Soviet way of doing things in that if she wants to do an interview this isn't with everybody but with with a lot of politicians in Ukraine the first thing is you send them your questions before you ever conduct the interview. They approve those questions, they, they decide whether they want to answer them, and then after you conduct the interview, after you do everything, you, you send them your, your finished copy or your finished piece, and they approve it, and they decide whether this is a message they actually want to have going out to the public. So a very, very controlled media system that it's it's evolving, but it's got such a long way to go. We thought that your observation was an interesting one, and you contributed to what proved to be a great conversation on this show, but we could not walk away from the picture you had painted. That is a connection between two people uh, betrothed to one another. And we wondered, how did they meet? And, and how does this work? And boy, would we ever love to hear more from Olena Goncharova. It is now my absolute pleasure for the first time in the history of this show to connect the two of you via the magic uh, that is broadcast radio. Olena Goncharova joining us live from Kiev, Ukraine. I suppose to you, I wish a good evening, Olena. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Ryan. Thank you. Hello, Brad. <laughs> hey, dear. The two of you, you talk, you said, three or four times a day. Oh, at least. Olena, how did the two of you meet? Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this conversation on media access and what you're observing over there in Ukraine, how did this love story begin? How did the two of you start talking? Oh, well, 
it was <laughs> now I can say so long ago because actually it all started in 2014 uh, when we had the Euromaidan revolution in Ukraine. It's also known as the uh, revolution of dignity. And uh, so Brad once uh, messaged me on Facebook asking about some of my stories. And that was actually how we started talking. Uh, at first, we just exchanged a couple of messages, but then we just started texting more and more. And uh, after a while, we understood that uh, we were visiting almost all the time and need to um, hear each other's voice like <laughs> literally every minute because otherwise it will be too difficult, you know, to to live and to work and <laughs> to actually, you know, do something. But uh, we, uh, like, physically we met only last year when I visited Canada in November. This is amazing. So, Brad, you were, you were, uh, why are you so interested, by the way, in, in Euromaiden and, and essentially the, the Ukrainian revolution, if we can call it that, from, uh, I guess, about-ish, November 2013, uh, all the way through till, till 2014? Why is that a story that you were paying such close attention to in the first place? Well, I had uh, visited Ukraine in 2012. And uh, when I was in university, I'd gotten to know a couple students who were from Ukraine. And as with so many of us here in Edmonton, you know, my roots uh, on my mom's side go back to Ukraine. And folks were saying, geez, you know, you should, you should connect with your roots. You should see where you're from. And I thought, well, that's kind of a neat idea. And I went to Ukraine and I just absolutely fell in love. It's the most fantastic, wonderful, interesting country. And so when I came back, I just became more and more enmeshed and immersed and interested. And I started following some of the uh, some of the news events that were taking place at the time, and uh, it it just became a very compelling story, and uh, and I, I I really fell in love with uh, I guess you could say with with the narrative of this country that's just had such an incredibly difficult history that gained their independence only very recently. I mean, they were celebrating their 21st birthday as an independent country when I was when I was visiting in 2012. But uh, they, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to uh, to reach out and become more of a westernized, more of a European country. And there's these incredibly power fact, powerful factions that are that are pulling it apart and holding it back. And as the story developed, I just got more and more interested. And it also seemed to be one that didn't really have a lot of international attention, certainly not in the early days. And I thought, you know, maybe there's there's something I can be doing here to help push the story forward a little bit outside the borders of Ukraine. Well, Elena, you're you're obviously in in an interesting position, a, a relatively unique position, working at the Kiev Post because it's it's one of, if not the only, English language source for news for a lot of people over in Ukraine. As as right. as Brad mentioned, obviously a beautiful country, a country with a, a rich, if not somewhat recent history. But lately, all we've been able to read about here in Canada is how violence is increasing in in eastern Ukraine as government forces continue to fight uh, pro-Russian groups. So right now, currently in Ukraine, what's the situation? What are you currently reporting on? What stories are you telling right now? Um, well, you know, we still have uh, many issues going on, and the war in the east of Ukraine um, is still going on, too, because, well, it's kind of ceasefire right now. Is Well, at least that's what our leaders are trying to tell us. But in fact, we received so many messages about, you know, killed 
for injured soldiers uh, out there literally every day. So we need to keep eye on that. And uh, also I try to collect uh, interesting stories of people who uh, have been helping soldiers uh, over there, also their families all over Ukraine, because, you know, when it all started in 2014, we had really a weak army. Uh, it was very poor, so basically many of those uh, soldiers, young men, often in their 20s or something, they even had no uniforms or bulletproof vests or anything. So um, there was a huge movement, uh, like volunteer movement, and so many people uh, were involved in it. And many people uh, left their, uh, you know, current jobs and stuff, and they just uh, started helping and fundraising uh, money and uh, trying to deliver all those equipment uh, and other important things like medicine and stuff uh, to the war front. And uh, we still try to, you know, find those people, talk to them and tell their stories because it's something very unique in all this uh, volunteer movement uh, here in Ukraine. And, um, well, another issue is uh, the work of the parliament because they have Lots of things on the uh, agenda, and they need to pass um, critical and very important legislation right now, and sometimes it's very difficult for them to sit and work together because there are many um, contra well, contradictory forces there, I can, I can say, because we still have um, some kind of old guard politicians left uh, from um, Viktor Yanukovych regime, our former president. So sometimes it's very difficult for young lawmakers who made it to parliament actually pass the legislation they want and they know that should be passed. Oh, Lena, so I wanted to ask you about that. Is is Ukrainian parliament right now functioning with integrity? Do you get that sense or is there a, a dysfunctional or, or even sort of a, a puppetish government? Um, well, you know, it's still functioning, but we had pretty difficult months, especially in February. It was uncertain whether it will uh, actually continue its work because uh, the ruling coalition failed. And uh, now they try to form a new one so they will be able to pass the legislation they need. So I can say that they try to um, you know, show the nice picture to society and to our Western partners that everything is fine in Ukraine and they will work out and they will try to solve the crisis we have right now. Um, but the situation is pretty bad because it will be really difficult for them now uh, to try to find all those votes in order to, you know, pass the laws that should be should be passed. Our guest, uh, uh, guests this half hour, oh, yeah. Olena Goncharova, a journalist with the Kiev Post. We're talking to her live from Kiev, Ukraine, Brad LaFoy, uh, who lives in Boyle, Alberta, and just so happens to be engaged to Olena. Uh, an interesting question here on the text line, Olena. Somebody's wondering if uh, you actually needed permission to call into a Canadian uh, radio talk show that airs live on the air. Is this something you had to clear with anybody? Do you feel as though you can operate with an independent and free voice over there as, as a journalist? Yeah, of course. And, you know, actually, our chief editor here always tells us that we can post anything we want and we uh, will explain that it's important, so it should be on our Facebook page or Twitter page or whatever. So it's like it's totally okay, okay for us to talk to, you know, to other journalists and to tell the story that's 
going on in Ukraine right now. Brad, as a, as a Canadian with Ukrainian roots, obviously now in, engaged to a Ukrainian who, whom you met through following the news there, you must have a, a somewhat more informed perspective on issues in Ukraine than th- th- any sort of average member of the population here in, in northern Alberta. What are one of the storylines uh, that you've been following, perhaps one that Olena's been reporting on, that you think has been underreported here in Canada? What's a story that you think deserves more of a spotlight well I think one of the one of the most fascinating things with with what's been going on over there and Elena Elena alluded to it briefly is uh, the fact that their their military was in such a unique situation in that for a number of years they had been desperately underfunded and all of a sudden they're they're thrust into this war with almost almost no equipment and uh, and almost no funding and I don't think a lot of Canadians realize quite how much uh, how much of an impact folks on this side of the pond have actually uh, had in in getting them up and operational. And we've seen a number of care package shipments and and fundraising uh, projects go on to help uh, organizations like there's a there's a group for example called Donbas Battalion, which basically is a is a volunteer uh, fighting force. When things first started to go really bad in the east, um, the military just they they really weren't able to respond in uh, in an effective way, and so a number of retired soldiers, police officers, things like that, got together, uh, got organized, and they're now functioning as a uh, as a wing of the Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian military, and uh, and fighting over there largely as a result of uh, of fundraising and support from uh, from a lot of expats and uh, and people helping out here in Canada. Olena, what do you make of what Brad just teed up? Sorry? What, what do you make of what you just heard from Brad? Um, well, um, I can say that um, also because of the help from abroad, our soldiers were able, you know, to continue fighting, especially in all those tough months uh, we had last year in summer because otherwise it would be really difficult for you know for Ukraine's defense ministry to um, to get to get their soldiers the army all they all they needed because a uh, lot of medicine were not able at that time and we need to have it all really fast and in a big uh, quantities so I can I can say that actually that's that's a great um, well I I I I don't know how even to tell that because we won't be able uh, to fight this war without the help from all the people abroad. It's I mean the human cost of of the war in Ukraine is is astounding. Uh, it's estimated almost six thousand people killed. About fourteen thousand. More, I can tell you. More, Olena. Uh, I can tell that it's something like more than nine thousand. Really? Already. And yes. yes is there a, is there a problem the achieving accurate statistics, even for somebody like you that's over there? Yes, we have this problem because I guess that um, Ukraine's defense ministry doesn't want to. Um, to tell the real numbers of casualties in order not to, you know, spread panic among among the people. So that's why they try to under, you know, 
underestimate maybe mm. the numbers, the mm. real numbers, unfortunately. But we try, we try to keep eye on that, and we um, we are always in touch with volunteers and other journalists who travel to the east. Unfortunately, um, I couldn't go there, um, but still we we try to to do as much as we can from Kiev in order to understand the real situation that's going there. Yeah, the, those numbers, of course, the. Uh, topping 9,000, according to Elena, include the 298 people that were on board that uh, Malaysia Airlines flight, MH17, that was shot down. Right. 5.2 right. million people estimated to be living in conflict areas, including almost a million uh, internally displaced. That would include about 120,000 children. 600,000, it's estimated, have fled to neighboring countries, the majority of them to Russia. We'll fit in a quick break. More with Olena Goncharova of the Kiev Post, her fiancé, Brad LaFoy of Boyle, Alberta, right after this. It is, oh, Gina, I'm three minutes late. My fault and my apologies just after 1020, which means right now somebody has a chance to qualify to go to Las Vegas to see a show a quarter century in the making. Guns and Roses back together for the first time in 20 years and you could be there. You and a guest, a trip to Sin City to see GNR perform their very first show back together. You can go to 630ched.com to register if you haven't already. Listen daily at 7.20, 10.20, and then 4.20 p.m. right here on Ched. If you hear your name, you've got 6 minutes, 30 seconds to call 780-496-0063. If you live in Sherwood Park and your name is Douglas Barrett, we want to hear from you. We'll be right back. Our guests this half hour, Olena Goncharova of the Kiev Post and her fiancé of Edmonton, not Boyle, Brad LaFoy, but you're just too polite to correct me on the air. You're from Edmonton, (laughs) not Boyle. I'm from Edmonton, that's right. (laughs) Olena, thanks for holding the line. I know that you were uh, reporting from the halls of parliament over the last while, the Ukrainian government just surviving a vote of non-confidence. I suppose everything that's been building could have fallen apart. What's the significance of uh, of the result of that vote? Um, well, uh, it was pretty strange situation when the uh, parliament voted that um, the uh, government's report was unsatisfactory, but at the same time they failed to dismiss this government. So that means, unfortunately, even though the society and the um, lawmakers in the parliament itself are not happy with the government we have right now, they need to continue working unless they just decided to... Um, dismiss um, other other members of the of the government of the cabinet of ministers so right now we have this uh, strange situation when everything um, can change immediately and we are actually waiting for the next week when the uh, parliament starts uh, its work uh, i guess it will be march 15th and after that we'll see maybe we'll have a new prime minister at least uh, we have such rumors right now, but so far everything is as it as it was. Mm. Elena, a listener says it's well documented that many of the private militia groups over there have been marching with neo-Nazi flags and Nazi insignias on their uniforms. Have you noticed that? Um, well, you know, we have uh, different military groups, and uh, some of them uh, are now parts of um, different battalions within the army. But I can say that uh, like lots of them are from neo-Nazi uh, movement and things like that. At least um, they were quite uh, active 
uh, last year, but right now we don't have we don't have any any big marches uh, at least in Kiev or other big cities. Uh, but of course there are a couple of battalions, especially there is Azov battalion that's fighting uh, also in the east of Ukraine, and many of its members uh, have these these views. But at the same time, they claim that. Uh, they are united with all the other people in order to defeat um, defeat the enemy. It's it's really one of the tough things over there, and I, it, it started somewhat with uh, with the Maidan revolution, and it continues uh, with uh, with the war now. That there are a lot of factions that lean very very far to the right, and it's one of these things where you don't really like a lot of the uh, the philosophy behind it. But uh, sometimes, uh, <laughs> sometimes strange uh, war makes strange bedfellows. I guess is uh, is is maybe a, a brief way to sum that up. This is obviously, I mean, to call it a situation is is such an underrepresentation. But something that that we've been trying to keep an eye on. But there's no better way to achieve understanding than to talk to somebody that's there, uh, that's doing the reporting on the ground. I want to say a huge thank you to you, Olena Goncharova, journalist with the Kiev Post, for joining us from Kiev, Ukraine, this morning. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Ryan. That's an amazing opportunity for me. Well, it's been a real pleasure to connect. And, and Brad LaFoy, thanks for the suggestion. Thanks for bringing us together. Absolutely. It was, it was a thrill to be able to talk a little bit about it, Ryan. So thank you. You're, you're a listener to this show, and we mean it when we tell people, if you have a great story idea, if there's something you think we need to focus on, let us know. That's what Brad did, and this has been a great half hour. Appreciate your time. We're a minute late into the news. I'll own that one. That one's on me, but I'd say it's worth it. Here's the headlines. Well, that was cool. Our thanks to Olena Goncharova, journalist with the Kiev Post. It's an, an English language uh, news source, a newspaper out in, obviously, Kiev, Ukraine. And Brad LaFoy, who lives here in Edmonton, listens to the show, chimed in. And next thing you know, there we have it. Uh, on the text line to 63630, listener says, I'm not happy with the puppet government put in by NATO. But they've got to stay in. We're screwing Ukraine over, just like Egypt and Libya and Iraq and all of Eastern Europe. Everywhere we go and everything we touch turns to disaster. Oof. Another says uh, Ukraine, the place the Western war machine got stuck. Ukraine that refused to play ball with the globalists. Ukraine, the place where our overthrow of elected government didn't work. Ukraine, the place where it just froze. You know that where we're going to start war with Russia. All of Europe wants to get out of EU, but we are forcing Ukraine in. I don't know if all of Europe wants to get out of EU. Anybody paying attention to Brexit, by the way? That's kind of an interesting development in Britain, keeping an eye on that. There's so many things, obviously, you know, when it comes to putting this show together that we're watching, that we're monitoring, probably exactly, you know, the same in your circumstance or many of your circumstances anyway, that we don't always get around to talking to. We try to cover what we perceive might matter most or what you might be most interested in, but that doesn't mean there aren't other stories. If you're not hearing about them, it doesn't mean it's not on our radar. The future of the European Union, an interesting, interesting, case study to be sure. And then, of course, there's a comment like this. Ryan, the NDP is getting ready to destroy Alberta and nothing on your show about it. You should be ripping the NDP a new one. The throne speech goes today. We're looking to that and probably, you know, preliminary details on what the $3 billion carbon tax might look like. And at the same time, a protest outside 
It's been circled this day. March 8th has been circled on, on many folks' calendars. This was supposed to be, as I understand it, the coup d'etat day where Albertans were going to find a way to overthrow the elected government here at home. George Clark's, you know, the Albertans' first guy has been behind a big part of it and somewhat a subject of ridicule after he held a meeting just a short time ago in front of his RV in a Walmart parking lot in Calgary and revealed after collecting $27,000 in donations from desperate Albertans that his grand plan to overthrow the government was to get about half a million of us to sign up for NDP memberships to take down the party from within. Well, today, those Albertans with George Clark and others say that they'll be there at the legislature making noise while that throne speech is delivered. So let me say this. This is for Steve, who wanted to know what is Ched doing to cover the protest at the ledge today? And I responded to Steve and I said, Steve, wouldn't you rather us be inside covering the throne speech? And Steve says, no, I'd rather you be covering both. Let's hear what the people have to say too. So I say, what do you have to say? Let's hear it. If you're going to be at the protest today at the Alberta legislature, if that's what you want to talk about, let's open up the phone lines and do exactly that. The floor is yours. 780-496-0063. If you'll be down at the legislature outside today, right in front of those grand steps, making noise, hollering at the government, What's the message you want Premier Notley, her cabinet, and her caucus to hear? 780-496-0063. If nobody calls, we'll move right along. March 8th. It's International Women's Day, but it's a big day for uh, many Albertans. Or I don't know if I should say many or not, but based on the fact that we threw it out there, opened up the phone lines, and all of a sudden it blew up, it suggests to me that several of you are seeing today is significant because you're going to be down at the Alberta legislature, not necessarily because the throne speech is being delivered, but because there's a protest, there's a rally. We've heard that there are charter buses set to arrive at noon from a number of jurisdictions across the province. Steve's been listening into the program, wanted to know if we're going to talk about this, if we're going to cover it. I said to Steve, well, I'd rather hear from you, Steve. What are the important issues to you? And Steve, you've, you've, you've made good on it. You've called in. Thanks for that, and, and thanks for listening. How's your morning going? Oh, it's not going too bad. Good. Hey, Steve, what do you, what do you expect? Are you, first of all, are you going to be down there today at noon at the legislature? Yeah, you betcha. I'm probably going to leave here in about 10 minutes and make my way down and try and find a spot to park and go and see how everything rolls out here. Why is it important for you to be down there? Uh, for me, the biggest thing is is communication or, or lack thereof. There's there's lots of hot button issues with everyone who's going to be down there today, and there's probably a lot of mo- emotion too. I hope people do keep that in check and and uh, you know keep, as George says, the power of love going. But for me, it's communication um, two ways. It's collecting from the government uh, communications and connecting from the people communications. There's there's two ways to it. And what would you ultimately hope to achieve today, Steve? And what's your goal? I mean, I know some people are, you know, hoping to overthrow the government. What, what do you think would be best case scenario or most realistic, maybe? Uh, I would be happy to have the government listen to the people who are there and put some value to the effort that people have put in to get their opinion out there. I think that would be a big a big win. Because I feel the government hasn't been listening enough. 
Steve, what do you make of, of George Clark's Albertans first movement? Because it's one of those ones where uh, on the surface, at first, it appeared to be gaining quite a bit of momentum. He raised almost $30,000, but then his most recent media availability in Calgary, there was like a dozen people there. What do you make of what's going on there? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, one of those don't under, underestimate the power of the people. Um, I think that's that's what I would sum it up as. All right, Steve. I, hey, listen, I appreciate you getting the ball rolling on this, and, and good on you for, for feeling the political conviction here and acting on it. That's what uh, a democracy is all about. Yeah, and big thanks to you, too, for, for acknowledging it and being responsive to the issues day in and day out in Edmonton. I, I like your show. Hey, I appreciate thanks. that. If, if we say we're going to do it, then we better do it, right? Bill's been holding the line as well. Good morning, Bill. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, I hope to make it down there uh, sooner or later, or later on this afternoon here, but I'll see how my schedule rolls out. Bill, if you if were going to be holding a sign down there, what would your sign say? What's the important message you hope to deliver? Why do I got to be punished for carbon? Huh. So you're looking for details from that throne speech today. Exactly. Why are they kicking the average tax-paying Albertan in the head with this carbon tax? And of what benefit is this carbon tax going to do for the province and the country? I mean, we have the greatest technology here as far as oil and gas and fossil fuels go here for uh, or providing a clean product. So I just don't get it. Well, I do get it, but it was just take another show to talk about it. That's all. I know what's going on here, and it's not good for Albertans. I can tell you that. And I can see why the groundswell and the movement of this anti-NDP, anti-liberal policies is growing. People are not dumb. They see what's going on. And you know what? I do support oil companies, but I do it with a grain of salt because they have power too. And as we keep using oil and gas and coal and fossil fuels, smart young entrepreneurs will develop new, greater technologies, renewable ones. We know that windmills and solar panels are an absolute failure. What's happening in Europe is going to come here thanks to the Liberals. Yes, Canadians, let it happen. Talk to anyone around the Great Lakes in Ontario and see what that's done for them. Hmm. I appreciate the call, Bill. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks very much. On the text line to 630-630, listener says, Are you kidding me? You just invited the extreme right to comment. Technically, I invited everybody to comment. And so if you don't like what you're hearing, then join the chorus. 780-496-0063. Sandra's holding the line out of Leduc. She's first in line when we're back from this. Taking back Alberta reads the advertisement for a rally today at the legislature. It'll run concurrent to the uh, delivery of the throne speech. So it sounds like uh, protesters uh, will be rallying right around noon. A listener out of White Court says it's rally day in Edmonton, and I, I couldn't be more proud. This isn't just about Bill 6 anymore. It's about listening to the people for whom you work. Uh, it's not just the price of oil anymore. It's a lot more than that. The people's voice is stronger when it's bigger, and then in all caps, Albertans deserve to be heard. Sandra's been holding the line. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Will you be down there today? I, you know what? I'm working today. Otherwise, I said, like I say, I'd bring my cowbell and everything else along. <laughs> what would your it's sign annoyed. say, Sandra? My sign would say that just about, uh, Alberta should separate, and uh, but no, we're not joining the state. I think we should look at it like Upper and Lower Canada. They once planned and take it from Manitoba West 
And you know what? But we'll start with Alberta, and Miss Notley can expect another re- election, and she would not be elected. You don't really want to separate, though, do you? we got to do something. The, it's our, our answer is not a pipeline through Quebec. We've seen what happened to the power coming from the Maritime provinces. So, like I said, I don't think that's the answer. We could uh, do a pipeline through to Hudson's Bay and put it on ships from there. All right, anything. Sandra. Anything yeah. else in closing? Well, no. The only thing I say is that she's not uh, with all this here carbon tax now. Which carbon? I mean, we had people at, at the summit in Paris. If we're on the news. It said, what's Canada worried about? Their carbon emissions are lower, lowest in the entire industrialized world. Like, excuse me? Excuse me? <laughs> and she doesn't get it? Sandra, I love your passion every time you call in. Thanks for being a friend of the show. For sure. Okay, have a great day. You bet. Uh, Sorry to cut you off there. Listener here says, uh, to the person complaining about how dare you let on the extreme right, uh, you're part of the problem, Jesperson, if you don't let everyone have their own opinion. Good on you to allow every view. Uh, This is Whitney says, I've been harsh with you in past, but I do keep listening because you do try to keep it neutral, which is appreciated. Whitney, that is appreciated. Daily Dell chiming in. How are you? I like how you talk about the extreme right, and then you have me on. Thanks. <laughs> Are you extreme right, Dell? Are you, would you no. would you accept that moniker? No, I'm what you would call a libertarian conservative. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, are you going to be down there today? If I wasn't working, I would be. Okay, but, what would uh, your sign say? Carbon tax, the biggest lie ever told. Okay, okay, let's let's talk science. I mentioned the other day about Michael Mann, paper to paper, or put forward a paper about uh, there has been no warming warming for 15 years. A uh, paper was just released yesterday. NOAA has been, hasn't released their what's called radio nest readings, which are the weather balloons. The weather balloon readings for the last 57 years show a cooling trend. In fact, the brief warming trend we got in the 90s brought us almost up to where the baseline temperature was in 71. Dell, let me jump in for a second, because one thing I found about, and, and, and I know you might not like me phrasing it this way, but climate change deniers, is that you guys all know the information, you all know your sources, it's almost like you don't need to talk about it on the radio, but would you acknowledge that these days, I mean, even a comment made by President Barack Obama about the GOP candidates the other day, would you acknowledge these days that if you deny climate science, you automatically lose the ear of the majority of the population? No, because I'm actually the I'm I'm using science. There is no empirical evidence showing that the globe has warmed. The NOAA readings, the ground temperature readings. Remember, I told you there were four Nobel laureates that are looking at their data. The initial report that came out shows NOAA has been doctoring the numbers. As an example, you get a temperature reading at one site that says three degrees above normal. You get a temperature reading at another site that shows two degrees above normal. Now, normally what you would do is, because they're close together, you would average those out and you'd get an increase of 0.5. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing instead is they're increasing the low one up to the three degrees above normal and going, oh, there's our baseline temperature. NOAA made a boo-boo. Every year they put out their annual graphing of temperatures each year. Problem is, is they keep putting the same data into their computer crunching. And what happens is, is each year's graph, when you look at 2012, it shows temperature X in August. You look at 2013, it shows temperature X is no longer temperature X. It's this is your 20-second warning, Dell. Plus one. The following year, it's, 20, it's X plus two, X plus three. Each year they crunch the numbers. The computer software they're using keeps adding to the temperatures. All right. You've given us so, something to look into and something to Google, buddy. I'm up against the clock. I appreciate the call.
Yeah, have a good day. You bet. You as well. That's Dell. Meantime, on the text line, Scott from Sherwood Park says, hey, I'm going down to the ledge, but not for George Clark's protest. I'm going to support Premier Notley. I think she's done a good job. You can let me know what you think. It's, uh, by the way, National Nutrition Month. We'll change gears next hour. Emily Mardell joins us here in studio. We're right back.